Okay, we're going live. All right. I know Titus doesn't do history. Meeting is now streaming live on Facebook. Right All right. right. I feel like we need to give a shout out to Joshua and Uriah since they've been beating a dead horse in our absence. Those guys have really carried the torch in our absence. Yes, and the oil painting that they're yeah. using is with their dank meme icon. <laughs> <I'm>... <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm worried about the iconography of our of our movement. Yeah. Well, it's not it's yeah. not to be worshipped. Like this is like venerated is all. <laughs> well, welcome yeah, back. There's guys. a lot of veneration going on, you know. Yes. Great to be back. Yeah, it really, really is. We've missed each other, um, except for, well, all the all of the responsible ones of us have been plenty active on DK platforms, but one of us, not mentioning names, has been in dereliction of his duty. I, I how long are you gonna play this twin thing out, Titus? You just right now. I'm that? trying to catch up right now. Drew Latin is. Um, memeing about me live right now and trying to bash me so well um, while we do this podcast i'll catch okay. up on all the memes i've been missing out on because of my babies if anybody wants to take a shot at at dave's woman face feel free that's ripe meme material right there there you go <laughs> all right so yeah yeah yeah, yeah there's we where are we gonna go tonight? We're gonna we awkward were gonna, silence. <laughs> we want to talk about. <laughs> we are really rusty here. I guess. We got a couple ideas about what we wanted to talk about. We're gonna talk about partisanship. We're talking about voting. We didn't know what we were gonna do first, so we thought maybe we'd let you, as the audience, vote on it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if we believed in that. Yeah, if we believed in that, we would. But, uh, where? But where uh, yeah, we, Titus. Titus doesn't care about partisanship. He cares about voting, and he's about to go to bed. So he wanted to put that His first. Twins. I'm not sure if that works. Do you think? Do you think we can make that work? Yeah. The rest of y'all. So you're what's... saying partisan voting first, then partisanship? Sure. What's wrong with you, that's Titus? What, yeah, that's what Titus is. So I've I've never voted in my life, and I, I don't intend to vote. Um, the, the line that I've used is I don't participate in choosing the commander in chief of the largest organization in the history of mankind dedicated solely to disobeying Jesus command to love one's enemies. So, and then for, for conservative bros, I add, but if you are going to do so, then at least don't vote for the man who's the antithesis of the Beatitudes and the personification of the de seven deadly sins. So, but if we come back to the first part of, of that little ramble there, um, that my primary objection to voting is not just the fact that Jesus's kingdom is not of this world. I, I think we could be ambassadors of Jesus's kingdom and still participate in giving advice to Babylon through voting. For instance, if I was an ambassador in another country and the other country allowed me to participate in an election, sure, why not? Like generally they don't allow an ambassador to, but if they did, why not? So, I mean, that, that gets me part of the way to not voting. The, the whole my kingdom is not of this world thing, but it doesn't get me all the way there. The, the biggest thing is I am empowering someone who is, uh, his, his job description is commander-in-chief of the armed forces. Right. And, and that's how he 
implements his vision of morality through violent coercion. So that's why I don't vote for the president. Um, now, I think you could extrapolate that and say, okay, we also don't vote for members of Congress because I mean, Congress declares war. Um, if you get down to like governors, I, I guess they deploy the National Guard, but it's a little less so there. So I feel like the closer we get to local elections and like um, less powerful offices, the more willing I would be to vote. Uh, but I, I've been, the, what's been challenging my position on not voting recently is um, j just the idea that maybe we, like, maybe we could lessen some of the evil in the world by voting. So an example is I'm reading this book right now by Ronald J. Sider, Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger. Every now and then I go on, on Finney's website and see his recommended reading. That's where I got this. So he, he talks a lot about what we can do to work against poverty, but he also talks about systemic problems that create poverty. And so the, the last chapter is called Making the World More Fair. And I just read this tonight, this little story uh, that makes that, that really creates some of the cognitive dissonance for me. So uh, let me try to read it fairly quickly. A group of devout Christians once lived in a small village at the foot of a mountain. A winding, slippery road with hairpin curves and street precipices wound its way up one side of the mountain and down the other. There were no guardrails and fatal accidents were frequent. The Christian in the village's three churches decided to act. They pooled their resources and purchased an ambulance so that they could rush the injured to the hospital in the next town. Week after week, church volunteers gave faithfully, even sacrificially, of their time to operate the ambulance 24 hours a day. They saved many lives, although some victims died and others remained crippled for life. One day, a visitor came to town. Puzzled, he asked why they did not close the road over the mountain and build a tunnel instead. Startled, the ambulance volunteers quickly pointed out that this approach, though technically possible, was not realistic or advisable. After all, the narrow mountain road had been there for a long time. Besides, the mayor would bitterly oppose the idea. He owned a large restaurant and service station halfway up the mountain. The visitor was shocked that the mayor's economic interests mattered more to these Christians than the many human casualties. Somewhat hesitantly, he suggested that perhaps the churches ought to speak to the mayor. After all, he was an elder in the oldest church in town. Perhaps they should even elect a different mayor if he proved stubborn and unconcerned. Now the Christians were shocked. With rising indignation and righteous conviction, they informed the young radical that the church dare not become involved in politics. The church is called to preach the gospel and give a cup of cold water, they said. Its mission is not to dabble in worldly things like changing social and political structures. Perplexed and bitter, the visitor left. As he wandered out of the village, one question churned in his muddled mind. Is it really more spiritual, he wondered, to operate ambulances that pick up the bloody victims of destructive social structures than to try to change the structures themselves? So, um, and Shane Claiborne says something similar, and I think he might be quoting someone else, but he says that you can pick up so many bloody men on the road to, um, what's the, the Good Samaritan, the road to Jericho? Um, but after a while, suddenly you think maybe we should rethink the whole road itself, right? So there's these structures that are creating problems in, in our world. And we can, we can reach out in love and we can show a different society, a different kingdom, a different way of doing things. And we can give humanitarian aid. But like if there are political and social structures that are destroying people um, to just be hands off, like is that really responsible? Is that really... Um, the answer. 
So that's that's giving me a little bit of, of cognitive dissonance with this whole thing. But see, the the problem with that approach is like in that story is the story sets up at least to me, and I'd love to hear obviously we hear from the other ones. Um, is the story set, sets up this this false dichotomy, like they've got these two options: they can use coercion, or um, they can just shrug and let things keep going. And to me, the biggest problem in the world mm-hmm. today is the whole force of coercion, the use of force. Um, that's, I mean, that's what's happening while we have the, the, the racism and so on. All of those things that exist, exist because of the use of force and the use of, of violence. And you talked about as you get closer and closer to the local level, um, the, you know, the whole violence thing decreases. Well, maybe on a national, the, the scale of war and so forth. But the fact of the matter is, if you violate town ordinances um, blatantly, you know, they're going to fine you, they're going to this and they're going to that, but eventually they're going to kick your door down and drag you off and lock you in a cage. That's, that's how the whole system operates. And to me saying, um, I don't like what the government is doing because this whole system is corrupt and um, coercive and so I'm going to join in the coercive thing to change it Um, I mean that just strikes me as a massive yo dog meme to me you know yo dog I heard you don't like coercion so I used coercion to make you stop coercing people by coercing you to stop coercing people it's it to me you're you're basically you don't like the sword so you're going to pick up the sword to make other people stop using the sword well that it just doesn't work you just become the next sword wielder uh, there's there's a there's several different ways to approach this and I, I actually I like your question Titus it's the most uh, conscientious framing of of an articulation of a, a pro voting argument but but I think Dave's on the right track to begin with that it starts with what is what is voting um, there the the myth of democracy is is that, that that government derives its power from the consent of the governed that's the essential premise of a democratic structure and and so whatever whatever participation in that system is is lending my authority and credibility to the system writ large so there's a couple of different scenarios that you can play through as thought experiments like for like Okay, let's take a <clears throat> let's take a low a local bridge building or a local library bond, for instance. We say, okay, well, my neighbors articulate that they want a library or a fire station or a bridge or a tunnel or whatever it is in the town, and so we're all going to vote, right? Well, that seems like a better option than some options. You know, the king could just go beat everybody on the head and take m- enough money to do the thing. But, but we have a more um, civilized, let's say, system where we all cast a vote. And if, if 51% of us want the fire station or the library or the bridge, then we build it. But that's not the end of the analysis. How do we build it? We then, under threat of violence or confiscation or imprisonment, extract those monies from the 49% of people who did not want to do that. And, and there's no way to escape the coercive act of the democratic process because what government does, and that's, this, is, this is at its root principle why it's anti-Christian, 
what government does is it uses coercion as leverage to produce conformity. So when we talk about when we talk about government as opposed to the kingdom, there's mutually exclusive concepts. The people of God can never leverage coercion to force compliance. It's something that we cannot do. In whatever fields that we enter into coercive structures, we have left the domain of kingdom because Jesus never leverages with coercion. He never says, do this or else I'm going to club you over the head. And that's that's exactly what the power of, of government is. That's why Romans 13 is structured the way that it is, is because we're observing the nature of this system of the sword. What's it there for? It's there to coerce. And it, and, and a, in a broken world, coercive structures keep things from falling too far into chaos. So, so complicity with that system is, is complicity with the sword. You can't avoid that at any level whether it's forcing a curriculum in the, in the local school board or building a library or whatever it is, whenever you put a ballot, you're really contributing a bullet. It really is the force of government making my neighbors comply to my will or, or I lose and, and the government's going to force me to comply. And I, I maintain that that's patently right. unchristian. Now, can I... Um, I know this is a little bit outside the scope of what we're talking about, um, but how do you feel about voting like, well, so a church, um, a church is voting or coming together, like if a church or another organization votes, do you feel like there's the same coercive nature to that? Or can it be in some cases you taking a vote to just to find out where people are at? And Right. Yeah, I, I do with my family. We vote on we vote on children that we're going to name like names for new babies. Of course mm -hmm. they all get one vote and I get 20. So whatever, but um, <laughs> gauging opinions is one thing, but there's nobody going to get imprisoned or their property confiscated over, you know, figuring out who we want to come preach for some special meetings next spring. Right. Mm -hmm. So you would be you would be against voting even on the smallest local levels because on some because even like in the case of a, a school board's curriculum, ultimately that will be enforced by the sword. I guess some cops would come in if the teachers refuse to implement it. I mean, is that what you're well, saying? Well, imagine all the all the potential perils of that 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 aren't that aren't considered. Say say the the school board votes that they want to i don't know teach transsexualism or or something that's objectionable and and you okay so there's two options i vote against that and there's all kinds of people in my community that want that and now i'm forcing them not to or i lose the vote but see here's the other tricky thing about the democratic process because and here's why here's the trick look at the bait and switch this is a fascinating thing to me why do people like if I was if I actually wanted to win something through the democratic process, I wouldn't be trying to get the vote out. I would try I would be trying to suppress everyone that doesn't agree with me. But that's not the mythology that we develop as a culture. And so, like, if you think of, you know, whatever, get the vote out campaign that you want to do, the fact that they're putting it out through high schools and MTV and wherever else everybody's potentially engaging their own audience, but there's this kind of universal, everyone should vote, everyone should vote, everyone should vote. Well, why is that? 
well, because so why does why does uh, Joe Biden and 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 Trump people both talk about everyone should go out and vote? It doesn't matter who you're voting for. Just go out and vote. Just go out and vote. It's because what what we're really purchasing in in the democratic process is belief in the system. And so whether I win or lose, whether the, per, the, the thing or the person that I'm voting for wins or loses, I'm granting credibility to the whole and feasibility to the whole structure. I'm saying this is the way that we decide. So this turns into another argument against voting when you talk about like social issues, for instance. If we want to vote about <clears throat> the defense of the, the DOMA, the Defense of Marriage Act, you know, that was the last big cause that was rallying evangelical world is we got to vote for the Defense of Marriage Act or people that will support the Defense of Marriage Act. And we were voting to, to maintain the idea that marriage is between a man and a woman. <clears throat> well, that that grants that it's up for a vote. So so evangelicals have mm -hmm. lost over and over again that issue. So, A, it doesn't work. But even if it did, I'm not willing to concede that that's up for a vote. Like you don't get to vote about that. That's not something that men get to decide. I don't believe that these these certain right. universal truths are up for a vote. You don't. It doesn't matter if if every American but me votes that marriage doesn't have to be between a man and a woman. It doesn't change the the reality of that. And I'm not willing to concede that it's up for a vote. And I'm not willing to contribute my authority to a system that wants to put it to a vote. Because where, we're, where the evangelical church has gotten to now is that they've lost again and again and again and again. Uh, they're, 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 it doesn't work. Now, now, now the evangelicals are voting for Trump, who cares nothing about any of those things anyhow. And so it's just been a de-evolution. It's been evolving backwards in the whole Christian cause of voting to where we just are clowns. And, and what it looks like now is that we want to take our ball and go home. We contributed to the system, and now the whole country has turned into a post-Christian America, and now we want to take our ball and go home. Well, we should have just stayed out of the party anyhow. We didn't belong there. It wasn't our cause, and it wasn't our way to fight. But now we look like schmucks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and, and, so if and you that's, were in why, that's why we're... Sorry, my internet's pretty bad. Um, I'm not... Yeah, um, I was just gonna uh, ta tag on to what Matthew is saying. I think that's exactly why we're seeing um, the, the hopelessness that comes from having legitimized a system that has ruled against you over and over and over and over is why you're now seeing evangelicals. Um, I mean, I think we will be seeing evangelicals um, and are seeing them increasingly endorse just violent revolution, which they were all about Romans 13 and obeying the government up until about this year. Um, right. But at some point, you wake up and you realize that, wait a minute, you know, either this system has a legit is the legitimate way that Christians that you know, that we get morality um, imposed on the world, or it's not legitimate. And so you know, you can either question the entire framework or you can just say, oh, we're all going to tear it down and build another framework just like it, but it'll be us in charge, which has been also tried over and over, but it'll, it'll, it gives you, it allows you to, you know, blow up the leaky balloon, you know, for another couple of years, maybe. Um, 
and keep other... people's faith in it. If but but it, it's going to lead to violence and revolution, and and everybody everybody kind of knows it's illegitimate, but they don't know they have a, an alternative. Another basic premise worth challenging about the myth of democracy, and I use those words very very purposefully. It, it is a mythology in in every sense of the word. The, the, other, the other premise of the mythology of democracy is that the state is a savior, that the state will solve problems, that the state is the answer. And, and uh, the state has a few resources and I, I, a more stable state is better than a less stable state. I'm not taking anything away from their proper domain and purpose, but they're not going to fix things. They, 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 it's not what they do. They, they stop people from being animals that's their that's that's where they excel that's the one thing they're good at that's the one purpose they have and they're not going to provide lasting solutions for real problems that and and i think the more that we invest our time and energy and emotion in the state solving problems the the both the less that we're we're looking at the the church and the more we've absolved ourselves from feeling responsible about it. Well, so what if you were on in that little town uh, with that problem, the, the mayor has this restaurant um, and gas station, and that's why he wants to keep the, the dangerous road. What would you do? Because that, that's a structure and a system that is harming people. How do you, how would you take a stand against that? Like if the town decided we're just going to democratically decide this, that we're going to um, either do a tunnel or we're just going to keep this dangerous road up, you would say, no, I, I'm not going to participate in this vote because that's enforcing a moral vision. But what would, what would you do in that situation if you wouldn't participate in that vote? Would you just be silent about it? Well, I don't know, but I, I mean, I wouldn't vote because I'm, I'm consciously opposed to it, but but I, but I think that the analysis is far too reductionist. In other words, let's think about poverty in our little town where there's a, where there's a tunnel that needs to be built. Who's going to pay to build that tunnel? And, and, and what does it mean? What food am I taking out of whose mouths to vote for the tunnel to be built? I, I, don't, I can't answer that question. I don't know the answer to that, but somebody's going to force those people to pay. And how, where's that money coming from? And how do I have the moral authority and right to tell them that they have to, they have to do this. It, taxation is a theft. It, it, it is taking from people. And that's not just the anarchist in me speaking. It, it's the principle that's involved with taxation from time immemorial. So you, you pay your taxes because Jesus told you to, to avoid confrontation, but you think that it's, it's an immoral institution. I think it's 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 immoral in the class of issues that it's immoral for Jesus's disciples to be involved with. So how are you how are you in favor of socialized medicine if you're against taxes? Well, I I I live in a world where taxes exist. It's the same way that I it's the same way that I decry wars in the Middle East, but they prop up the value of the dollars that are in my pocket. I mean, I I can't come out of the world. I just have to make moral, I have to make moral calls about what's right and what's wrong, regardless of their cost. I mean, mm -hmm. I can say that wars in the Middle East are bad, even though we're all profiting from it. I mean, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have the value in our wallets or our houses or anything that we have without those wars. Sure. I mean, I, I can't say they're wrong. Yeah, I, I'm just, I mean, this is a, a real detour, but I, I was 
like when you said you're you're in favor of socialized medicine, I was like, how is that an anarchist value? Like that's that's the epitome of coerced morality. Like socialized medicine is like we we should take care of the sick and we're gonna force everyone. I mean, I would love for there to be socialized medicine too. I think the American medical system is horrible. I just don't know that like you can consistently as a Christian anarchist say that that, that would be something you would celebrate. Well, I, th I think the way that I that I approach it is that the government's taking X amount of dollars either way, and they're either going to bomb brown people with it or give people health care. It's not going to change anything. Well, not only that. In, Go ahead, Anthony. In depending on the medical system you have. Well, I, was, I was just going to say, depending on the medical system you have, um, all these vast amount, even if, even if the government does have to raise taxes to support socialized medicine, uh, the current medical system we have is stealing from people as it is like it's just a matter of who's going to be doing the stealing um and and which and which uh which gang you're going to put the which gang you think is going to be the least harmful to the most people mm -hmm. i mean we we can have judgment calls on that um it doesn't mean we have to endorse i mean i we'd i would rather there was no theft at all um but if we're going to have people running around stealing, it's the same way as like the Christian anarchist view on government, period, everything government does. If you're going to have people doing violence, it is better to have, you know, given that people are violent, given that people are going to shoot, you know, hold guns to each other's heads to get what they want. It's better that there's an, some sort of organization and limits on that so that there, there's a certain type of predictability you can avoid having a gun to your held to your head most of the time by staying within certain sets of lines that people can predict. Um, you know, that's, that's what governments allow us to do. It makes life possible. But, um, and so I think it's better for, it's, it's objectively better to have a system where someone limited by laws steals from a set group of people who are considered to be able to afford it all the time um, a little bit every year rather than um, whatever poor person gets sick gets everything taken from them by a different group of people um, so that's a, that, the same level of care for people's health either way so you'd be a fan of that that policy changing but voting for that to take place like voting for bernie would be endorsing evil because even if that policy would replace a, a worse situation, it would still be bad. Is that what you're saying? Because no. honestly, this is this is starting to sound like we're like the 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 inverse of the non-voting Anabaptist conservative bros. Like we're all like non-voting Bernie fans or something. Well, no. no. So like here here's the here's here's how I here's how I look at it. There's when I pull out of my driveway onto the road, I, I think you need to define anarchism in, in, in the way that I mean it. I'm a Christo anarchist. It, 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 it's yeah. only in the terms of Christianity that, in fact, that's, that's my advocation. I don't, I'm not telling, I'm not telling my unconverted neighbors, they shouldn't vote. I don't know a better way for them to resolve their disputes. I think it's fine that they do and right. probably better than a lot of other solutions. I, I don't begrudge my neighbors from being soldiers for 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 you know feeling like they have to have a military to defend their borders, et cetera, et cetera. There's all kinds of things that 
that that are a part of my worldview that only apply to those who call themselves disciples of Jesus. And my anarchism and my pr principles on voting and my principles on violence are all in that category. They're therefore people who have subjected themselves to the rule of Jesus as king. Now, as such, as a Christo-anarchist, I, I presume that there's a world that exists around me where I have to pay taxes. And so do my neighbors. It's just, it's how the world is made. And, and those taxes go to certain things. I would rather have roads that work than roads that don't work. I'd rather have medicine that works than medicine that doesn't work. Those are just practical things. Uh, but how, but my, but I'm not willing to, to pull the levers of power in order to get my will in mm -hmm. regards to those things. So if, to whatever extent someone wants to listen, I'm, I'm willing to say, hey, this would be better than that. But I'm not willing to engage in a system mm -hmm. that at the end of the day is using coercion to get those means done. I'm subject to the coercion. Mm -hmm. And I live in the world that that coercion builds. And there are better and worse things about that. You know, it's the same thing with with wars. I when it comes to when it comes to how god is working in world events i don't know what the grand scheme of things is about saddam hussein and george bush jr i don't know what god's doing in ultimate realities all that stuff i know it's bad to bomb innocent people that that's all i know and that's as far as i engage with that system you know if 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 the if um a military, the Mexican military and the American military want to shoot themselves, shoot at each other on the on the California Mexico border. That's dumb. Uh, I I can point out how stupid it is to be fighting over over imaginary lines on maps, but if soldiers shoot soldiers, I don't I don't know what to do about that. That's the way the world is. When soldiers shoot children, when soldiers shoot innocent civilians. And people who don't want to be there have to be there. That's a different moral case. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. That's it clears up some of the cognitive dissonance. <clears throat> and I think yeah, it's it, I think it's really clear. To, I mean, really important to say, "Hey, look." Um, he's getting a Trump hairdo. Hi. Need to cut it, buddy. <laughs> No, his hair can't. His hair's not getting cut. I don't let Brenda touch it. How old is he? He is a year and two months. Yeah, about a month ago, my wife just took the scissors to my, the clippers to my year old's head. She got That's tired me. of waiting for me to do it. It was sad. So, so. I think it's really important to to look at like the fact that I that I prefer something doesn't doesn't um, you know that I prefer a different one kind of healthcare over another. It's the same as saying I, I think uh, just on a smaller scale it makes I think it's easier to to see that the pro voting. I mean I think I think it's really easy for people listening to me say well I prefer socialized healthcare I prefer that soldiers wouldn't you know bomb people in iraq well why aren't you voting for that then how can you have a preference if you if you aren't willing to take even the slightest action to you know to to, to demonstrate that preference in the political arena um but again it, it, it's 
you, you have to remember that voting is participation in a system whose entire premise is that we're going to hold a gun to somebody's head to make them do this. Um, those, and, and, that's, and that's what it comes down to. I may, I may think that it would be a better world if say, you know, there was an ice cream shop in my, you know, in my town um, or one every three miles, you know, and I could get maybe a bunch of my neighbors to agree to that. Mm -hmm. And if 51% mm -hmm. of us agreed to it, then we go hold a gun to everybody else's head and make them p help pay for it. Like right. the fact that I prefer that I like ice cream doesn't mean that I'm responsible to violently demand that everyone gives it to me. Um, and, mm -hmm. and a Christian can have, can have a, a preference for the kind of world we would like to live in and we can choose to use nonviolent means to promote that world. Um, and, and you can't, and, 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 you know, people that, that demand that we participate in this system, um, will always claim, well, in this, in this nation, you know, we have democracy. The people are the government. If the people are the government, then the people are holding the sword. You know, if I, if I, if I'm a participant in the government of our nation by being a voting age citizen who's registered and goes to the polls, then that means that I, you know, I have my hands on that sword when it starts to, you know, when it gets, you know, tickles somebody's neck who's not ponying up enough money for the projects I wanted. Right. I think that's, I think that to me is the biggest, um, is the biggest and most compelling argument is the, is the complicity argument. Um, I like Matthew's abdication uh, argument too, but um, which you haven't got into tonight, but I actually have a kind of a thought experiment that um, I feel like lays out the, um, the, the immorality of the, um, well, especially the, the, the two, um, the, the whole lesser of two evils argument we hear so much about. Well, you're not keeping evil from happening. You've got to get involved because you're not keeping evil from happening. So um, imagine that we as a world had devolved to the point where, um, you know, we had the Colosseum again. Um, you know, we had blood sports. We had people fighting, you know, armed criminals, you know, sentenced to fighting to, uh, to death in tournaments for the... Um, you know, for the, for the pleasure of the, of the audience. And imagine the, there was a new reality TV show where they would take random people from off the street and kidnap them and lock them up. And then those people would have to, um, would have to prove whether they were worthy of living or not. So maybe they'd interview them and their families or whatever, but at the end they pull the audience, they'd ask the audience. Um, so does this person deserve to live or, or die? Um, and the audience could vote between release them, um, give them a, a beating and dump them somewhere on the street or kill them. And because pe most people are not really super awesome people, you know, they dig up all their weaknesses and their flaws and the bad things they did and, you know, all this stuff. So it would usually be between, you know, 40, 49, 50%, maybe in some cases it would be, you know, 60, 40 between killing and beating them up and dumping them in a ditch somewhere. And then there'd be like three or 4% that would be for releasing him. So what should Christians do? 
Should they go and vote to re to beat the guy up and uh, to beat the guy up and dump him in a ditch because that's the lesser of two evils and voting for the um, the third party. I mean, voting to release them would be throwing your vote away. And we'd have Christians running around saying things like a vote for releasing him is a vote for killing him. Um, so what's the what's the moral thing for a Christian to do? And the answer is you don't participate. You don't boost the show's ratings by logging into their website and voting. That just mm -hmm. adds currency to what they're doing. They can take that to their producers and say, look, we've got all these people that voted. We've got tens of thousands of people that showed up that cared enough to come and vote. And all you're doing is just increasing the value of that whole corrupt system. At the very, very least, you could throw your vote away. I mean, I don't, I don't believe in voting for all the reasons that we've enumerated. But um, the, lesser of, the lesser of two evils arguments is the silliest thing, um, is pretty much the silliest thing that's going on. So anyway, I don't know what you guys think of my thought experiment, but there it is. Makes sense. I won't vote. Well, that's, that's, that, that's not so much the point. I mean, that's, you know, we, um, you know we're, now, we're now involved in voter fraud because now you're going to be withholding your vote in multiple jurisdictions. That's an Anthony joke. <laughs> I do it every election. I think it's important, though, whenever we have these conversations that <clears throat> that we remember that that if 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 we're making these claims, then then we're assuming certain responsibilities about the world. <clears throat> What we're saying is that we're representing something else that there's a different way for humans mm -hmm. to orchestrate themselves and we need not mm -hmm. forget that that christianity is political political is just how humans organize themselves and and we of all people have have a masterfully planned way of organizing ourselves and the world around us and we need to be yes. actively participating in 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 things that make us good citizens make us good neighbors make us uh, you know, important for the world to have around. It's it's interesting to read the first apologies that the Christians are writing to the to the government, saying, "Please quit killing us," because a part of their plea is, "Look at how good we are for you. We're we're doing good things for you and for your people. We're important mm -hmm. to have here, and we need to remember our civic responsibilities in those regards, not just be abstainers from voting." I trust that that we yeah. all are, but it's good to remember that. Uh -huh. and, and, and I think that segues really well into, um, into the whole issue of Christian, I'd, I'd like to talk about the general issue of Christian loyalties in regard to partisan politics. So we, somebody I think alluded to this um, earlier, we see a really strong, a really, a really big problem to me that I see is that um, and, and this, this is, this is, it's something that we, that we get tarred with just by not voting. Um, oh, well, you're plain people and everybody's seen plain people, um, who are like, I don't vote. I don't participate in the military, but there you are on the sidelines cheering on the bombers as they take off to, to, uh, demolished settlements somewhere on the other side of the world. There you are, um, 
you know, praising the troops for doing, for obeying whatever orders are given to them, whether they're moral or not. There you are, um, you know, making excuses for the evil of one party and, and, you know, tearing, pulling apart every mistake of the other party. If we, we see this thing of people who are, who are partisans, but they don't participate um, in the technical manner that, that is provided for them. And, and that, that, frankly, that's a silly and hypocritical um, position to take. And I think, and I think, and I think that's quite obvious to everyone, including the people who are doing it. Which is why we have um, more and more Amish and Mennonites showing up to the polls every election, um, because at some point people don't like to deal with that cognitive dissonance. So it makes sense to vote if you're a partisan. So we can get that off the table right now. Like I would like all the people who, who, uh, who are abstaining technically from participating in the system to just get with the system, pick up a gun, join the military, um, show us who you really are rather than, rather than trying to play both sides. And, and for the rest of us, um, it's, it's, it's really, I think this is, this, this is something that connects back to the voting issue. One more argument against voting. And I, I think, this is a very observable phenomenon is that it connects to Jesus statement that where your treasure is there, your heart will be also um, voting is more than just like a, a, you know, dropping a, dropping a little grain of sand on one side of the scale in national politics. It's actually an investment, more of an investment than people realize, I think. Um, and so we saw at the beginning of 20, the, the 2016 election season, lots of people looking at the Trump versus Hillary race and thinking, well, you know, uh, we don't like Trump. Like an, evangelicals saw that Trump was, a, was incompatible as a person with the things that they believed in um, or that they wanted to believe they still believed in. And, you know, he, he, it, I don't even have to make a list there it's it's virtually on every single point right. um you know family values faithfulness to spouses honesty um integrity like we have some incredible speeches from right-wing politicians from the four years before trump was elected about how truth matters and and reality matters and you you can't just remake reality into your yeah just and and we have you know lots of things from the clinton era about how Personal morality matters for a public, for a, for, for a national leader. It's not irrelevant, like the Democrats were saying it was. Um, and, and we have polls from just before 2016, um, polling evangelicals about whether personal morality matters for a national leader. And we had like 85, 90% of evangelicals saying, yes, it matters. It's really important. And after the 2016 election season, it was something like 25 or 30 percent of evangelicals agreed with this. Born again Christians in America suddenly, um, by you know vast numbers, had changed their minds about this. Why had they changed their minds? Because they had had they had felt like they were forced to invest in a cause that was incompatible with what they really believed, and because once they had invested 
I mean, this is, this is my hypothesis. Once you invest, you have, you have, there's incredible psychological pressure to bring your in, you know, to, to put your heart where your investment is. Now I I'm in the tank for this party. Now I, I I'm going to constantly feel bad about myself if I continue to recognize how incompatible this person is with my values. And so I'm going to change my, all of the, change all the foundational beliefs I have about the world to make so there's, to get rid of this cognitive dissonance. And that's what happened to evangelicals. And so you saw them going from making the argument in 2016, well, but abortion, you know, we don't like Trump and we wish we had a good candidate to vote for, but we have to get anti-abortion Supreme Court justices in. We have to, you know, stop the border violence or whatever. But, you know, we've got a couple of these key moral issues that because of those, they're so important that we can't let Hillary be elected. So we'll elect Trump. Well, that, that was a morally defensible position from a certain standpoint. Like I can, I have a respect for people who made that, who, who choose the lesser of two evils. I believe there are reasons why, like that we just talked about, why that's not appropriate for Christians, but th there's a certain moral coherence to it. But most of those people, you've seen them go from, from, okay, we have to do this because of these issues, even though we don't like the man, to making excuses for his immorality and his godlessness and, and painting him and trying to compare him to King David and the apostle Peter and, you know, turning him into a moral hero, into a stalwart Christian leader when they knew he wasn't when this all started out. And, and that's another argument for why when you begin participating in those systems, they, it's, it's not a one-way feed, like this is the assumption about voting, it's a one-way power transfer. I push the system in the direction I want it to go, but that's not what happens. The system also comes back and shapes you once you begin to participate. Right. And I think people really, really underestimate the way that feedback loop happens. How, how, how do you, how do we, because, um, I think that Titus has a point in, in that we're the inverse of the conserva bro from a certain standpoint. And I hear it all the time. Like as much as I trounce my Mennonite conserva bros for being closet Republicans, I get just as much pushback that I'm a closet Democrat or a closet leftist or a closet, mm -hmm. whatever. Uh, and, and I know how I answer that accusation. How do you deal with that accusation, Anthony? Um, I'm I would sure you hear people too. to follow me to some leftist. I, I would invite people to follow me to some leftist platform on social media, for instance, and let me get, take a few days to air my views there and see what I get labeled. Yeah, I, I so part of it, I think, um, part of it is long range trajectory. Like I, I, I received the opposite accusation under the Obama years when I decried right. all of Obama's bombings and actions and Planned Parenthood support and the things that were happening during his administration. I was a closet Republican. And I think that's an important thing for me is that the kingdom of God should be zigzagging back across, back and forth across these platforms because 
he okay so i i just spoke at our <clears throat> at our church on sunday about this issue actually uh what did i call it i think i um i called it polarization and what i was talking about is my own propensity i was thinking about the the way that social media pushes us into ruts not just facebook but but google and youtube and everything online is being shaped as we all know we've talked about it before it's being it's being it's being used the algorithms are being used to create a niche world just for me and my views that's the ideal mm -hmm. marketing strategy for any online platform because we're the product we're not the consumer we're the product mm -hmm. and so so to be able to use me as a product they want to understand my interests my likes my dislikes my political views all that and 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 feed me like fattening a pig the things that i want to mm -hmm. see and it it has so then when i encounter someone of a different perspective I'm thinking, what's wrong with you? Do you not see the things I see? Do you not experience mm -hmm. the world I experience? Do you not read the articles I read? Do you not see the headlines I see? Well, no, they don't. They see an entirely different picture of the world. They see how, you know, George Soros is running the world or how Trump is saving whatever. They see an entirely different curated world. Mm -hmm. and, and so when we're mm -hmm. assuming that my view is the common view, then we don't have any way to empathize with somebody on the other side of an issue. And it's creating this really, really dramatic. Now, I'll tell you what, the reason I brought this up with our people on Sunday is that I'm really worried. Like I'm afraid of civil order. Brian Culkin had a post today. It's exactly what I've been thinking about is that when, yeah. when, the, when, the, when the Bush Gore scandal happened, none of us thought the world was gonna rip apart into civil war. We knew, Everybody had their dog in the fight, but we knew that nobody was worried about civil war. Nobody was worried about violence in the streets. Nobody was worried that things were going to blow up and we wouldn't know who the president would be months later. But but people are really seriously considering what's going to happen if there's not a smooth transition of power. If Biden wins mm -hmm. and all the Trump supporters say it was mail-in voter fraud and all this stuff, or Trump just won't concede or Biden won't concede or whatever, there's a million different scenarios that could look very explosive in America. And now we just poured like mm -hmm. a, a tanker full of gasoline on this election with Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death because now everything's super leveraged about the SCOTUS. So mm -hmm. this is creating, I mean, it's a powder keg. There's a social powder keg. And, and it was, to mm -hmm. me, a callback to civility to say the church's real job is not to be partisan. And I think that there's a few reasons that I fall into partisanship because I don't, because what I do, what's really hard to do is to get to the common perspective like when I think about discourse, especially about controversial subjects, what I think about, like, so I think about where it's easy. Where is it easy for me to find common ground with people that I don't agree with? Like when I think of my time with Felix or my other atheist friends, I don't, I don't presume that they grant my worldview. And I think that's why I end up fighting mm -hmm. a lot with the conserva bros is because we're supposed to have a common worldview. And so our worldview is at stake yeah. over who's going to run it. But when I'm talking with exactly. my atheist friends, I don't, that's not at stake. We don't, 
grant the same worldview. And so where I want to get to with my atheist friends is what's the common perspective that we both have? What does it mean for humans to be well? What does it mean to not hurt? What does it mean to either, either beauty or pain? How do you get to that common point and then build a world that's more beautiful and less painful? And what does that mean? That's where I get to. But we don't often do that within our own domain. So if we're talking with Christians, I, I, I make all those assumptions and I don't get to the base of why does he believe that the that coronavirus is a hoax? Why does he believe that Trump is saving America? Why does he believe that that BLM is raging Marxists burning down the world? There are concerns, human concerns, whether they're right or wrong at the bottom of that. And I don't take exception to it with, with other people, but within mm -hmm. Christian circles, I do. It's threatening to me at a psychological level to, to try to yeah, get to yeah. a place of commonality. And I don't want to, I just don't like what they're saying. I don't like where it's coming from. And so I don't do all the work mm -hmm. of empathy that's required to engage in that conversation. I just want to mm -hmm. shut them up or tell them they're dumb or whatever the case may be. And, and I think that for, I'm going to speak to our camp we've got to get back in the middle. We've got to get out of ruts and, and stand in the middle ground and pull people back together, pull people back to civility, back to common understandings, back to common humanity, because the, it's, it's getting so bad. Like, I, I don't know what, I, I mean, I have, I can imagine scenarios where our, we're all living in a very, very different world in not too long from now. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And I've that's something I've been thinking about a lot the last couple of months. And I've, I've actually been really trying to change the way I interact with people on social media and even the conversations I have in real life. Because like, I, I have tons of conversations with conservative bros in real life. And it they always end with me just feeling like, man, that, that got us absolutely nowhere. <laughs> like it never gets us anywhere um and i think that there's a certain rage that's that's on both sides right now that that we can be affected by um right. and so well, I, I actually was talking to drew about this on, on that jesus podcast i was saying like if i see a christian woman with her head uncovered when praying i don't get furious right. but if i see a christian supporting trump i do now, I, according to the Bible, I would say both of those things are wrong, but why does one anger me more than the other? I could say, well, it's righteous indignation because, you know, um, the, ultimately allegiance to our king is the primary thing and, and, and that's more important. And that's and I'm having righteous indignation about the damage done to image bearers of God if, if Christians support Trump, whatever. That, I could rationalize it, but if I'm honest, I'm not sure that's what's going on. If I'm honest, I think that there's a certain rage in the air that although I'm not entering into it in necessarily a partisan way as a Republican or a Democrat, I'm entering into it by raging against Christian support for the religious right. Um, and, and so when, when we look at Jesus, like he, he, he got outraged also, but he seemed to do it in a way that transcended the, obviously the partisanship like when he was asked about paying taxes when when the samaritan woman at the well tried to bait him into a political debate or whatever he seemed to always find a way to transcend it um so i'm trying to figure out what that looks like how can i avoid just the the, the rage and 
what, even though I, I feel like I'm coming at it from a different angle, but if I have the same emotions and the same, yeah, rhetoric, like if I'm not transcending that, I don't know that I'm really accomplishing anything. I think one of the things that I'm, I'm trying to focus on is that um, I want to, I want to understand motives and assume goodwill because those are, those are keys. Um, those are keys to effective conversation that you have to enter into any discussion, assuming good faith and, and not assigning evil motive. And I think that I, uh, polemics um, are so common now. And, and I, I'm just perfectly honest. I, I'm a, a rhetoric and polemic is my world. That's the water I swim in. I, I like convincing people of things and, and, and that has its u- utility, but it also has its weaknesses. And what I'm trying to do, I want to, I don't want to be mealy mouth. The things that are important to me are really important. I, I, I don't think that compromise mm-hmm. is necessary. What I think is empathy is also necessary. And, and what I'm trying to focus mm-hmm. on now, especially to try to pour some water on the fire is that I want to understand people's motives. I want to know why, because when you peel back the layers, it's even, even the dumb, crazy stuff, like the pandemic, like taking away our rights, like what's the real concern that you have? Because see, here's the thing. If, if I, if I analyze my own motives, what do I want to produce? Do I want to be victorious? Do I want to, do I want to elevate my own opinion of my own opinions? Or do I actually want to persuade people? If I want to persuade people Uh of something that I think is important, then I need to understand what's hindering them from accepting that premise. So if we're going to talk about Uh public health, like what are you afraid of? What are you worried about? And get to that heart of peel back the layers of the crazy and where, what's, what's the, what's the underlying concern? Where is this coming from? Let's address that because if you can get to that, then, then you can build a different narrative from the concern. You can say, okay, I understand you're concerned about X, Y, and Z, can you consider that there's other ways to see this or some other thing? And maybe that doesn't work. Maybe it's, maybe it's beating some people. It's like beating your head against the wall and that's okay. But I want to understand that because what I'm worried about, about myself is that I'm creating a fictionalized person. I'm othering people of different opinions in, in, in what looks like, Uh is feeding into the agendas of the world I see around me. And I don't want to do that. I want to create sympathy and empathy. What's people's concern? Maybe they're dealing with their concerns in bad ways. Maybe they're dealing with it with bad logic. Maybe they're not thinking well, but what are they worried about? Because those are probably sensible worries. They're probably at least good things to be caring about, you know, freedom, liberty, health, yeah, whatever. Yeah, but what do you very do often they are that, they're legitimate concerns yeah but what do you do with people that are truly seem to be legitimately bad people like well, i think they're for few. Instance, the people that are um the people that are openly cheering and posting memes which i've posted a couple examples um just so people knew i wasn't blowing smoke um you know cheering the death of right. uh of justice ginsburg and talking about how she's in hell and and the devil's you know, cheering and tormenting her and on and on it goes. 
Um, what do you do with that? Because that's just like that's just plain evil. It is, but but imagine imagine that same scenario on on the alternative side, like somebody that's championing Planned Parenthood or abortion, for instance. Like if I want to reach that person who's championing the value of abortion for the good of women, what I want to get to is why do you think that that's good for women? What's your concern? Well, I don't think that women should be stuck raising children. It's bad for children. Okay, well, let's deal with women and children and and see if there's another way to serve that goal without championing abortion. Are there other answers to this problem? So mm -hmm. on uh, now I can think through that and I, because I want to win something there, I want to make a difference in that person's life. Now, when I look at somebody showing RBG burning in hell and championing, I mean, it's no surprise. The, the, it's like people, the, the conservatives have been just waiting with bated breath for her to die. Like, I'm surprised there's not parties going on with cake and everything. They, they've been zealous. Well, what makes you think there aren't? Well, there probably are. But where, okay, so if I want to humanize that, which this is, this is what I think is, mm -hmm. is the thing that Jesus is supposed to be teaching his people. How, what Love Your Enemies is about is how to humanize someone who is acting in a way that makes no sense to you. So when, the, when I see the evil of cheering for RBG's death or judgment, what's the concern? Well, do they just like people dying? Are they just vengeful people? Maybe, maybe that's on, but that's surface level stuff. They're concerned about the causes that are important to them that she was in the way of. They're concerned about abortion. They're concerned about... Mm -hmm their country at the least noble They're, they have some reason why they feel that way. And I think that the, the best thing to do is appeal to their good sense. The things that like, like making the case that here's the effective meme is you're not really pro-life if you're cheering the death of this woman, like that speaks to their concerns and challenges their premise. That's the way to do it, I think. So, um, and there, I would say there's another couple of things that you have to put into that also with conversations. One is, one, one really important reason to humanize the other person, even if you really don't like what they're saying, is that, um, well, the golden rule, you'd like them to do that to you. And, and furthermore, um, we we all you know if we're smart people we assume that we don't know everything you know we're supposed to remember that all the time that our our perspective is incomplete and i'm really it's there's a very high likelihood on any issue that i'm discussing that there's an angle i haven't considered right. um and and that and and if i'm going to have the opportunity to grow i need to get i need to not fall into that habit if I want to be more right next year than I am this year, I need to not fall into that habit of just writing off people that have a different perspective than me. And I mean, that's hard if their position doesn't seem to be nuanced and it just seems to be parroting things they've heard. But like you said, that goes to the issue of, you know, there's, there's underlying things that they care about. For instance, if I'm talking to somebody who's, who's uh, you know, pushing some deep state conspiracy, um, like, 
it's, it's a really funny thing about the deep state is liberals were really concerned about it, um, about the deep state until Trump was, was uh, until the 2016 election season. Um, the idea that there was an unaccountable, um, a massive unaccountable apparatus working behind the scenes in the US government and pulling a lot of strings that the, that the citizens couldn't even see, um, causing a lot of massive effects in the real world that were out of the control of, de of the democratic process. Um, and, and, you know, when, when the, Trump, the Trump followers all like didn't believe that, um, they were all big fans of the FBI and the NSA spying on people and whatever else. I mean, that same group of people were pretty much, a lot of them were on board with unaccountable dark power as long as it was pulling the sword on people we don't like. But when they realized that apparatus was, was being used to spy on Trump and his associates in ways that now appear to have been very, um, you know, very shady, um, they suddenly they were concerned about it and suddenly the democrats were laughing about the whole idea like what's the deep state like that's just a conspiracy theory well um that's so i've got a lot of i was very concerned about the deep state pre-trump um and and about about the bad effects it has on on our nation and and i'm and i'm still concerned about it um, and I have I have a lot of commonality with people on things like that. It's easy to forget that we have that we have common ground. I'm very concerned about abortion. I, I'm angry about the fact uh, that that millions of babies are being are being murdered in the womb. That's a terrible thing. And and there's a whole bunch of the underlying issues that cause people to say incredibly stupid things that that we agree with them on. And we probably really need to do better on just affirming those things that people are right about, that we know they're right about under the surface. Um, and then starting from that kind of, of, of warmth to discuss the details and how they play out. And, and I, I will uh, plug a tool um, that I haven't visited in a while, but it's, it's, a, fun little, it's a fun little training tool. Um, it's called the Angry Uncle Bot. And it's created by uh, the New York Times. So um, in collaboration with somebody else, I think. So, I mean, maybe that causes you to dismiss it immediately. But um, it's, a, it's a bot that allows you to pretend you're discussing a controversial political topic with an angry uncle. And you can choose whether, to be, whether you're the conservative and he's the liberal or vice versa. Um, and, and it gives you multiple choice um, questions I will drop the link. I mean, multiple choice um, answers for what you say when he says something that makes you angry. Um, I'll drop the link in the in the uh, comments so people can check it out. But it's a lot of fun, and it, it gives. And and I I actually really appreciated for me. It's it actually just really promotes answers that don't even gently push back. Before you can do that, you have to establish rapport. You have to, you, somebody has to know you're on their side, that you understand what they're going through and the things that are troubling them. And if you start by pushing back, even if you do it courteously, you're often not going to get anywhere. Well, that's and right. Because people don't, I, I, especially now, I mean, in the digital world and, and now in 2020, 
there's so much of this partisanship in everything. Like when I list the when I list the the social issues of the day, they all line up in categories. Like we've ha- got all these huge issues, and they all fall neatly. They look like different arguments, but they're the same. Whether you're talking about back the blue mm-hmm. and thin blue lives, or or defund the police, abolish the police, all lives matter, black lives matter, Republican, Democrat climate hoax climate change like they all fall neatly into these categories it's just that the world is arguing the same two positions in a in a host of different symptoms and and given that as the entry field for any public discourse until someone believes that you understand what their what their sense of concern is you really can't even engage yeah I don't know where that leaves us in the digital world. Like I, I don't, I've been probably the, one of the most vociferous advocates of social media and its value. And even I'm starting to despair. (laughs) All is lost. Let's end with that. I was going to, I was going to say, I was going to say earlier on when David asked that question, what about, people who say horrible things online. Well, I think it's an important question. Do you know this person? Um, yeah. if, if, if this is a, if, if we just like social, one of the really distorting effects that social media has is that it amplifies the most extreme voices. We all know that. But then we look at social media and we like figure out what kind what the social landscape is. And it's a distorted view of the whole landscape um, because, because the clickable stuff whether you're conservative or liberal is stuff that's like a little too extreme. It's over the line. It's, it's not civil and healthy. And, and so the, you are going to see much more, let's say, let's say you, you know, I'm offended. Let's say I'm offended by the extreme five point statements of certain five point Calvinists, like, um, and, and, and I go online and I start joining these groups or whatever. Well, the loudest voices are some of the most extreme ones. Right. And I'm like, oh, these people, they're horrible people. I have, I have neighbors who are Calvinists. They're probably watching this uh, podcast. And, and, and like, they're not like your buddies that, I mean, these people that you keep finding memes from. And both those realities exist. And it, but if we pull back and, focus our association with people we actually know in real life, you'll find that the percentage of people who are really people of goodwill, who you can have a sensible conversation with, who would, you know, come over and do your chores for you if you ended up in the hospital without even asking questions. Um, Those sorts of people are everywhere. People who really would genuinely, you know, they might have five point Calvinist views, but they generally genuinely grieve with somebody who loses a child and not like posting on social media. Well, God, you know, God did, didn't want that child to live. That's awesome that they died. You know, I mean, this kind of stuff, if you, if you take your, the, an actual representative sample, which is the people that I know that live around me that I have relationships with, it's much more representative sample than what I see on a particular issue on social media. And you'll have a lot more positive view of humanity and you're going to have much more constructive conversations with those people. Well, it's and because so- it's because ideology is a is a manufactured reality. 
even ours. Like when you yeah. ask me questions about my anarchism, I have to I have to look at the ideology and say, well, how does this fit? Does it fit within that package? Because it's not because it's something external. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a it's a it's a it's an ideology. It's a, it's a way I view things, and it has to morph and move and fit. It's one of my arguments for open theism. Like I don't care what you say. If you're a Christian, you live like an open theist. You pray like it matters. Like that's that's one of the greatest cases for open theism that we all live like it. Same thing with with determinism. Mm -hmm. We all live like we're not determinists. We all live like there's potential future in front of us. It's an inescapable reality. But but you can create an ideology around determinism that just morphs your worldview. So you live one way and you think another. And we're all doing that in different ways mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because we need that. We need an ideology. We need some way to make sense of things in front of us. And so we pick an ideology or we pick a paradigm or a worldview or all these kind of synonymous terms, but it's a way of shaping the future in front of me so that I have some lens to look through to make sense of what's happening in my world or what, or to predict what could happen. And so when, when we talk about like, I think of it all the time with these reform people in five point Calvinism, like they're just creating a, a, a it's just a, it's just a paradigm. It's just a, 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 an ideology that they look through. It's not, it doesn't really, it's not really how they live. It's just what they think about. Isn't it odd that that ideology yeah. used to be religion for people and now it's politics? Like it's been replaced in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. For many people. Right. One thing that... And, I, and so... Go ahead, go ahead, Anthony. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, as far as the, the thing of, of focusing... I, th I think what what the when we realize how different it is to have real life ongoing relationships with people versus encountering people online in the context of an ideology that they're promoting, um, it's it the the takeaway from that is to focus our our emotional and relational efforts and our persuasive efforts and our you know conversational efforts on the vast majority of it on people that are local to us in some way doesn't mean doesn't mean necessarily in in three-dimensional space versus online but people that we have an ongoing relationship with that they're part of our our own social circle um and then cultivate those relationships make sure those relationships aren't being torn down and withering um and i have i've you know i have a my friend andrew has has uh, almost rebuked me on this a little bit, you know, because, because I think he's felt like it's a little bit out of balance for me. Like I have all these online friends. Um, and am I putting the right amount of proportional effort into the local community? I think that's a really important thing to remember when we have the option of, of engaging in all these battles on social media. Um, there's a time and a way to do that, but if it the the the, the potential payback, um, the the return on investment in relate in ongoing relationships and building a network right around us where we are um, is so much higher. The amount of effort we need to expend to persuade someone who already knows and trusts us and has seen us li living our lives is so is so much lower than you know largely anonymous people online. Um, that it's, it's, 
it's maybe the 80 20 rule like maybe there's time to invest some some of our effort on that 80 percent of people that don't know us but most of it should be we're going to get far better payback um on our local relationships and it's 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 really important to remember that especially as as the social media scene becomes more and more toxic one of the tools that I that I'm I'm trying to re-enlist um, is another ideology. So when I when I when I think of non-resistance and Jesus is teaching on loving your enemies, the, what the world has always done, always, is is that we've devalued whoever's my enemy, and I think that applies equally to ideological enemies. Mm-hmm. They're a little less than human. You know whether it's the Nazis calling the Jews rats, or or how American soldiers, GIs were tr- trained during Vietnam to use the racial slurs that always get used in any conflict. Mm-hmm. The, there's there's othering that has to happen because you know we're not well, we're not created with with a good capacity to 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 tear apart humans it's just not it's not the general psychological capability that most people have so we have to create some kind of distance between me and that person Uh so that i can rationalize my own interaction with them whether that's violence or Uh or or an argument i put i put them in a different category that's a human disposition we other people we make them a little less than human but the ideology of Christ, if we consider that that man is the image of God, is that the ideology of the kingdom is to make men a little more than human. And, and that applies to my enemies as much as anyone. And I need to do it more with my enemies, that I have to make them a little more than human. And so I want to always be pushing that, that sense of who someone is up instead of down i don't want to devalue them i don't want to and we and we do that we do that with a lot of our mental sensibilities especially somebody that you don't see like okay so dave dave grossman does all these like analysis of how willing someone is to kill and there's these modifiers you know mechanical Mm -hmm. advantage and distance all make someone more willing to kill well Mm -hmm. that happens in the ideological sphere as well that someone that you don't see someone that Mm -hmm. you don't know someone that you don't see them interact with their children you don't it's much easier to other that person and to make them a little less Mm -hmm. to take them down a notch and we need to remember that the christian worldview the ethos that christ is breathing into his church is to remember that all of us are a little more than human we're more we're more than mm-hmm. just flesh and blood we're the image of god and and i think mm-hmm. starting that being a starting premise to engagement in any difficult environment has got to go a long way towards helping us keep things in the right vein yeah so where do yeah, wolves and, come and, in and, this then well, I mean, the same place that that serial killers do. I mean, I'm not equating the same two things, but but it doesn't mean that people don't do bad things. It doesn't mean that they don't have bad motives, that they aren't that there isn't sin involved, that even even hate and horrible ugly things and avarice and greed and lust. Those are those are parts of the human composition and it's not that we're creating a fantasy world where we don't 
understand how the human malice. It's just that the essence of things where we begin to consider another human is the image of God. That so when 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 I think about the serial killer, or when I think about the wolf, or I think about the greedy corporate CEO, or when I think about Donald Trump, do I start that premise as considering him the image of God? Like that's his okay. essential reality is that he is the image of God, and these so things, this the, the things that he does mar that image. It's breaking what mm -hmm. he's supposed to be, and how. Okay. And we want to get mm -hmm. everyone is back to the place where they are the image of God. Okay. So you're talking, you're not saying it's, you're not saying you never come to the point where you look at somebody and say, here's somebody that's sold out to do evil. No, um, you're saying that you're, you're saying your starting point is you look at somebody and say, um, what is, where are they coming from? What's their, What's their motivation? They're in the image of God and so on. And then as you can, it, when given opportunity to interact, you can start seeing um, whether there's been that seared conscience or those other things, like you said, that the, you know, those cases Now you're not saying, like you said, that they don't exist or that we don't reach a point that you can't deal with them anymore. Um, yeah. But that's not where you start. But, you know, consider the worst case, consider, consider the psychopathic serial killer. Mm -hmm. My, my, my chagrin at capital punishment, aside from, aside from the, the, the periphery issues, like, you know, innocent people being killed and, and it doesn't work and all these other things, mm -hmm. my, my ultimate discontent with that situation is that you're killing the image of god it doesn't i understand he's done horrible things and the capacity for evil is tremendous mm -hmm. but 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 at the end of the day you're still killing the image of god this is a man with capacity with the with the breath of god life in him and and to destroy that is to destroy those things from god and i and and I just think that we would do well to to take the same disposition towards our ideological opponents and enemies to think first and foremost of people as that 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 people are all people like to to create some commonality because I spend so much of my mental energy thinking about how people are different and why they're different and why they're wrong that that we need to return in order to return to civility in order to be in the place where we're calling people back to reason and back to center and back to wholeness has to start with who are we talking to we're talking to a human we're talking mm -hmm. to a person yeah we want to do the yeah, opposite we want to do the basic training for the kingdom like if you're going to go serve for exactly. in the u.s military they're going to teach you your enemy is different he's not like you he doesn't love his mama he doesn't love his children he doesn't have any sense of morals mm -hmm. he's a monster and you need to eradicate him well yeah. we need to do basic training in the kingdom and do the opposite everyone the worst person is the image of god we're all bearing the image of god in us even my ideological and physical enemy so we need to go out there like with bouquets of flowers and we all shout <laughs> who's my enemy the image of god and then we throw them and then we do that to all the kids like eight at five hours a day um yeah so so and, and i think this is really like this whole dehumanization thing i think there's an analogy that can help us think about it also like 
especially on social media, because this is something I've thought, like, I feel like I've, I, it's really easy for me to become a bad person on social media. Um, and, and I was just listening to a shout out to the fourth way podcast, by the way, Derek, I'm really loving that. Um, and I was, I, he was discussing uh, the book on killing um, and how, how, you know, it's so hard to get people to, to shoot at somebody they can see, uh, you know, something like traditionally 20% of soldiers seem to be actually firing at the enemy when they close ranks. And, and, and the other, and the, and soldiers come back from combat with all this trauma, but it doesn't seem to be associated primarily with the trauma they suffered, but it's rather with whether they killed. Um, right. Same thing with police officers. And, and, and yet, when you look at bomber pilots, you know, who have inflicted much more suffering versus, you know, infantry, you don't see the same trauma. Like the distance um, causes it not to, the distance keeps the people from feeling, keeps it from feeling like you're killing people. Right. And mm -hmm. so I, I think the, the, it's the important thing to remember when we are communicating at a distance, like on social media, is that really we are all by default bomber pilots in that situation. Right. It's really hard to see the whites of the enemy's eyes. Um, you, you can't see the pictures in his wallet um, of his wife right. and children at home. And, and so you're, that's, that's where we are by default when we're not dealing with someone face to face across the table. And so if you look at the way that political conversations happen today versus you know, the old village tavern kind of situation where guys are like yelling at each other. Well, if you're yelling at your neighbors, these are people, you know, that you drink with. Um, it's a very, very different conversation. You can't dehumanize those people. Like you, mm -hmm. you automatically, you're already set up to have a bad conversation. You're already set up to drop bombs without thinking about it. Right. Um, if you're, if you're having a remote conversation. So Let's let's and so that I think actually calls for doing something in the conversation to humanize people first, um, and maybe just setting a rule for ourselves that until I have until I really am feeling this person as a human, as somebody that I could sit down to coffee with and like, um, maybe I shouldn't have a conversation with them. Like if I can't create that sense of of accord with this person probably the conversation couldn't go anywhere anyway uh -huh. well is that a place to wrap up does anybody have any other ideas they want to share you haven't said as much dave what do you think um yeah definitely a lot to think about for the record um since you mentioned joining calvinist groups and since we all know who that was uh, <laughs> um, I actually, one of my reasons for joining a couple of the groups was uh, for that very reason, the whole accusations mm -hmm. that you're strawmanning this and stuff. Um, yeah. And, you know, and then you go and you're like, oh, this is actually what gets said. Like, I didn't, I, I, I didn't even, like, my straw man weren't even, weren't even that extreme. Right. So, um, yeah, it's actually been um, very, very instructive. And I realize that, like you said, there's a lot of, um, uh, well, I mean, there's people, some of the people I've really super enjoyed uh, interacting with um, on DKCM, um, 
I'm thinking especially of, of Derek, um, would he's, we've gone back and forth about determinism and stuff. And I really enjoyed interacting with him and he would come from a more reformed perspective, but he's not dogmatic about it. And, um, like the, the being reformed is not what bothers me. Right. Um, it's the, it's the, uh, it's the attendant other stuff, which is just, which is just waspish and you can't, you can't get anywhere because it's just, um, yeah, it's like an intellectual shell game because well, I have tried. So anyway, I just just for the record, just want to clear that up. <laughs> you were you were trying to build empathy and it didn't work. Is that what you're saying? Exactly, exactly. You know, so that just underscores the other. You know, it just underscores the otherness, right? I've been trying uh, to I've been trying to humanize police officers, and I was I drove by somebody. There's lots of cops that work for, uh, um, like construction projects i don't know how any road work gets done here because you gotta have a cop for everything and i drove by one and i waved to him uh as a just to change my my thought patterns and um i told i told my one of my children i said i need to i need a friend who's a cop and like how do i find how do i make friends how do you pick a friend like I, I almost walked into the Medford Police Department one time and said, hey, I, I have a real struggle with cops. Do you have somebody I could be friends with or invite over for a barbecue or something? And I well, thought that would probably wouldn't that. go very well. But oh, then I, I love that. <laughs> my, yeah. my hesitation was that I'm going to make a friend who's a cop and I'm not going to like him. <laughs> no, one, of my, one of my really good friends is an ex-cop. And um, it's been really interesting talking to him about some of this stuff um just because his you know different perspective and stuff and his training and what he was taught and and so forth so that's been really interesting kick stuff back and forth with him um what's you know uh, how situations were handled this that and the other so um my my reformed neighbor is also an ex-cop so you got you have like a like a bingo card just about. <laughs> we, oh yeah, yeah. We we have dinner with them every Friday night. It's great. Nice. Some of uh, some of the best neighbors we've ever had. Yeah, well, we need more empathy in the world. We need to reach across the ditch and and rehumanize people on 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 the other side of us. I think that's the takeaway. It's something I'm I'm really trying to hunker down on and refocus and I want to find, mm -hmm. I want to understand people's motives, their, their genuine human motives. And I want to, I want to assume the best of people and I want to separate people from their ideologies. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, let's do that. And, and I don't want to compromise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, there's our marching orders for this week all right get well, out hey, there and do really it good, uh, in kingdom uh, connect again so yeah we'll see you in another x number of weeks <laughs> yes indeterminate all right peace guys all right yep. same to good you good night i know